It's me, Birdie, the conductor of the story train. I'm the one that wears a green baseball cap with a little white birdie on the front and my favorite overalls. All aboard the story train. Find a comfy seat. We're about to leave the station, and you know what that means. We're going someplace new. One whistle. We're on our way. I wonder where Story Train will lead us this time. We're entering the Rainbow Tunnel. Hold on, everyone. It's off to far, far away. This is so exciting. Just on the other side of the short Rainbow Tunnel lies our destination. That was quick. We're already at the end of the tunnel. Oh, I know this place. It's a street filled with kids playing ball and running about. But there's one boy who is about to have his playing interrupted by an incredible, life-changing adventure. Today's story is called Aladdin. There once lived a poor tailor named Mustafa, who had a son called Aladdin. Aladdin was a careless, idle boy who would do nothing but play all day long in the streets with other little idle boys like himself. When Mustafa passed away, Aladdin's mother begged him to start taking his future more seriously, but he did not listen to her one bit. One day, when Aladdin was playing in the streets as usual, a stranger asked him his age and if he was the son of Mustafa the tailor. I am, sir, replied Aladdin, but he died. On hearing this, the stranger hugged Aladdin, saying, I am your uncle, and I knew you from your likeness to my brother. Go to your mother and tell her I am coming to help. So Aladdin ran home and told his mother about his newly found uncle. Indeed, child, she said, your father did have a brother, but I always thought he was dead. However, she prepared supper and told Aladdin to go seek his uncle, who came over with gifts and fruit. The man told Aladdin's mother not to be surprised at not having seen him before, because he had been out of the country working for 40 years. He then turned to Aladdin and asked him his trade, at which the boy hung his head while his mother burst into tears. On learning that Aladdin was idle and had no trade, he offered to help. The next day he bought Aladdin a fine suit of clothes and took him all over the city, showing him the sights. Then he brought him home at nightfall to his mother, who was overjoyed to see her son looking so professional. The day after that, the man led Aladdin into some beautiful gardens a long way outside the city gates. They sat down by a fountain, and the man pulled a cake from his coat, which he divided between them. Then they journeyed onward until they almost reached the mountains. Oh, Aladdin was so tired that he begged to go back, but the man beguiled him with pleasant stories and led him on in spite of himself. At last they came to two mountains divided by a narrow valley. We will go no farther, said the man Aladdin believed to be his uncle. 
I will show you something wonderful. You go gather up sticks while I kindle a fire. When the fire was lit, the man threw on it a powder he had about him, at the same time saying some magical words. The earth trembled a little and opened in front of them, disclosing a square flat stone with a brass ring in the middle. Aladdin tried to run away, but this man, who was clearly a magician, caught him easily. Oh, what have I done to upset you, uncle, he said piteously, whereupon the magician said more kindly, Fear nothing, but obey me, Aladdin. Beneath this stone lies a treasure which is to be yours, and no one else may touch it, so you must do exactly as I tell you. At the word treasure, Aladdin forgot his fears and grasped the ring as he was told, saying the names of his father and grandfather. The stone came up quite easily and some steps appeared. Go down, said the magician. At the foot of those steps you will find an open door leading into three large halls. Go through the halls without touching anything or you will die instantly. These halls lead into a garden of fine fruit trees. Walk on until you come to a terrace with a lamp. Bring the lamp back to me. Then the magician took a ring from his finger and gave it to Aladdin for luck, bidding him to prosper. Aladdin found everything as the magician had said, and having got the lamp, arrived at the mouth of the cave. The magician cried out in a great hurry, Make haste and give me the lamp! But Aladdin refused to hand over the lamp until he was well out of the cave. Oh, the magician flew into a terrible rage at this, and throwing some more powder onto the fire, he said something and the stone rolled back into its place, trapping Aladdin beneath the ground. The magician left which plainly showed that he was no uncle of Aladdin's, but a cunning man who had read in his magic books of a wonderful lamp which would make him the most powerful man in the world. Though he alone knew where to find the lamp, he could only receive it from the hand of another. He had picked the foolish Aladdin for this purpose, intending to get the lamp and kill him afterwards. For two days, Aladdin remained in the dark cave, crying. At last, he clasped his hands in prayer, and in doing so, he accidentally rubbed the ring, which the magician had forgotten to take back from him. Immediately, a red genie appeared, saying, What do you want with me? I am the genie of the ring and will obey you in all things. Aladdin fearlessly replied, oh, Deliver me from this place! whereupon the earth opened and he found himself outside. As soon as his eyes could bear the light, he went home and slept for many hours. When he finally woke up, Aladdin told his mother what had happened and showed her the lamp. He then asked his mother for some food. Alas, my poor child, she said, I have nothing in the house, but I have spun a little cotton and I will go and sell it. But Aladdin told her to keep her cotton, for he would sell the lamp instead. As the lamp was very dirty, Aladdin's mother began to rub it, so that it would be clean and fetch a higher price at market. Instantly, a green genie appeared and asked what she would have. 
Aladdin's mother fainted away from the shock, but Aladdin, snatching the lamp, said boldly, Fetch me something to eat. The green genie of the lamp returned with a silver bowl, twelve silver plates piled high with food, two silver cups, and two bottles of the purest drinking water. Aladdin's mother, when she finally came to herself, said, Where did this splendid feast come from? Don't ask, just eat, replied Aladdin. So they sat, and while they ate, Aladdin told his mother about the lamp. She begged him to sell it and have nothing to do with such magic. No, said Aladdin, since chance has made us aware of its virtues, we will use this lamp and the ring as well, which I will always wear on my finger. When they had eaten everything that the green genie had bought, Aladdin went out and sold one of the silver plates, and so on until none were left. They lived off the money from the silver plates for many, many years. Then one day, Aladdin heard an order from the Sultan, who proclaimed that everyone was to stay at home and close their shutters while the princess, his daughter, went to and from the lake for a swim. Aladdin was seized by a desire to see her face, which was very difficult as the princess was always veiled. He hid himself near the lake to try and catch a glimpse. The princess lifted her veil as she went into the water and looked so beautiful that Aladdin fell in love with her at first sight. He went home so excited and enchanted that his mother was frightened. He told his mother that he loved the princess so deeply that he could not live without her. Aladdin begged his mother to go before the sultan and ask his permission for the princess's hand in marriage. His mother, on hearing this, burst out laughing. But Aladdin insisted until at last she agreed to go before the sultan and carry out his request. She fetched a napkin and laid in it some magic fruits provided by the red and green genies, which sparkled and shone like the most beautiful jewels. She took these with her to please the sultan and set out, trusting in her son and his magic ring and lamp. After waiting in line for a very long while, Aladdin's mother finally reached the foot of the sultan's throne and remained kneeling until the sultan said to her, Rise, good woman, and tell me what you want. She hesitated, so the sultan sent everyone in the court away but his grand vizier and told her to speak freely, promising to forgive her beforehand for anything she might say. Aladdin's mother then told the sultan about her son's passionate love for the princess. Oh, I prayed for him to forget her, she said, but it has been in vain. He insisted that I come and ask your majesty for the hand of the princess. Now I pray you to forgive not me alone, but my son Aladdin too. The sultan asked her kindly what she had in the napkin, whereupon she unfolded the jewels and presented them to him. Oh, he was thunderstruck by this magical offering, and turning to the grand vizier said, Well, what do you think? Should I consider this marriage for the princess when this young man clearly values her so highly? The grand vizier, who wanted the princess as a bride for his own son, begged the sultan to withhold agreeing to the arrangement for three months. 
if the Grand Vizier's son was unable to produce a grander gift at the end of three months, then Aladdin could be allowed to marry the princess. The Sultan granted this request and told Aladdin's mother that, though he did consent to the marriage, she must not appear before him again for three months to finalize the arrangement. Aladdin waited patiently for nearly three months, but after two months had elapsed, his mother went into the city to buy goods and found everyone rejoicing. She asked what was going on, and they told her, Do you not know that the son of the Grand Vizier is to marry the Sultan's daughter tonight? (gasps) Breathless, she ran home and told Aladdin, who was overwhelmed at first, but presently thought about the lamp. He rubbed it, and the green genie appeared, saying, What is your will? Aladdin replied, The Sultan has broken his promise to me, and the Grand Vizier's son is supposed to marry the princess tonight. My command is that tonight you bring the bride and bridegroom here to me. Master, I obey, said the green genie of the lamp. Aladdin then went to his room, where, sure enough, at midnight the genie transported the bed containing the grand vizier's son and the princess. Take this newly married man, Aladdin ordered the genie, and put him outside in the cold. Then return to me at daybreak. So the green genie of the lamp took the grand vizier's son out of bed, leaving Aladdin alone with the princess. Fear nothing, Aladdin said to her. You are my wife, promised to me by your unjust father, and no harm shall ever come to you. Well, the princess was too frightened to speak and passed the most miserable night of her life, while Aladdin lay down beside her and slept soundly. At the appointed hour, the green genie returned with the shivering bridegroom, laid him in his place, and transported the bed back to the palace. Presently, the sultan came to wish his daughter a good morning. Oh, the unhappy grand vizier's son jumped up and hid himself, while the princess would not say a word and was very sorrowful. The sultan sent her mother to her who said, Why will you not speak to your father, dear child? What has happened? (sighs) The princess sighed deeply, and at last told her mother how during the night, the bed had been carried into some strange house, and what had passed there. Her mother did not believe her in the least, but bade her to get on with her day and consider it an idle dream. But the following night, exactly the same thing happened, and the next morning when the princess refused to speak to him, the sultan became enraged. She then confessed everything, bidding him to ask the grand vizier's son if it was not the truth. The sultan told the grand vizier to ask his son, who said that the princess spoke the truth, adding that as much as he loved the princess, he'd rather die than go through another such fearful night and wish to be separated from her. His wish was granted, and there was an end of feasting and rejoicing. When the three months were over, Aladdin sent his mother to remind the sultan of his promise. The sultan, who was now in an irritable mood over the princess's last marriage ending so promptly, turned to Aladdin's mother and said, Good woman, a sultan must remember his promises, and I will remember mine. But your son must first send me forty basins of gold, brimming with jewels. Tell him that I await his gift before the marriage goes forward. 
she gave a light on the message, to which he replied, I would do a great deal more than that for the princess. He summoned the green genie from his lamp, and in a few moments, 40 basins of gold had appeared. The gold was delivered to the palace. Upon seeing it, the sultan exclaimed to Aladdin's mother, Good woman, return and tell your son that I wait for him with open arms. Well, she lost no time in telling Aladdin the good news and told him to make haste to the palace. But Aladdin first called upon the green genie of the lamp. I want a scented bath, he said, a richly embroidered habit, a horse surpassing the sultan's, and twenty men in waiting attending to me. Besides this, I also want six women in waiting, beautifully dressed to attend to my mother. And lastly, I want ten thousand pieces of gold in ten purses. No sooner said than done, Aladdin mounted his horse and passed through the streets, his men in waiting strewing gold as they went. The idle boys who had played with Aladdin in his childhood did not recognize him, for he had grown so impressive. When the sultan saw Aladdin, he came down from his throne, embraced him, and led him into a hall where a feast was spread, intending to marry him to the princess that very day. But Aladdin refused, saying, I must build a palace fit for her, and took his leave. Once home, he said to the green genie, Build me a palace of the finest marble set with precious stones. In the middle, you shall build me a large hall with a dome, its four walls made of gold and silver, each side having six windows, whose lattices all except one which is to remain unfinished, must be set with diamonds and rubies. There must be stables and horses and grooms. Go see to it! The palace was finished by the very next day, and the genie carried him there and showed Aladdin all of his orders had been faithfully carried out, even that he had laid a velvet carpet from Aladdin's palace to the sultan's. Aladdin's mother then dressed herself carefully and rode to the palace with her ladies-in-waiting. The sultan sent musicians with trumpets and cymbals to meet them, so that the air resounded with music and cheers. Aladdin's mother was taken to the princess, who saluted her and treated her with great honor. At night, the princess said goodbye to her father and set out on the carpet for Aladdin's palace, with his mother at her side and followed by the ladies-in-waiting. The princess was charmed at the sight of Aladdin, who ran to receive her. Princess, he said, blame your beauty for my boldness if I have displeased you. She told him that, having seen him, she was happy to agree with her father in this matter. After the wedding had taken place, Aladdin led her into the hall where a feast was spread, and she had dinner with him, after which they danced until midnight. The next day, Aladdin invited the sultan to come see the palace. On entering the hall with the four and twenty windows, with their rubies, diamonds, and emeralds, the sultan cried, Oh, it's a world's wonder! There is only one thing that surprises me. Was it by accident that one window was left unfinished? No, sir. It was by design, replied Aladdin. I wished your majesty to have the glory of finishing this palace where your daughter will live. 
Oh, the sultan was pleased and sent for the best jewelers in the city. He showed them the unfinished window and asked them to fit it up like the others. Sir, replied their spokesman, we simply cannot find enough jewels for the job. Well, the sultan had his own jewels fetched from his castle then, which they soon used, but in vain, because after a month the work on the window was still not even halfway done. Aladdin, knowing that their task was impossible since they did not have a genie, told them to undo their work and carry the jewels back to the sultan. Then Aladdin had the green genie finish the window at his command. The sultan was surprised to receive his jewels back again and visited Aladdin, who showed him the window totally finished. The sultan embraced him, but the envious grand vizier hinted that it was almost certainly the work of enchantment. Aladdin had won the hearts of the people throughout the land with his gentle bearing. Aladdin lived in peace and with complete contentment for several years. But far away in Morocco, the magician who had once left Aladdin in the cave suddenly remembered the boy, and by his magic arts discovered that Aladdin, instead of perishing miserably in the cave, had escaped and had married a princess with whom he was living in great honor and wealth. He knew that the poor tailor's son could only have accomplished this by means of his magic ring and the magic lamp, and so he traveled night and day until he reached Aladdin's town, bent on ruining him. As he passed through the town, the magician heard people talking everywhere about a marvelous palace. Forgive my ignorance, he asked them, but what is this palace you speak of? Have you not heard of Prince Aladdin's palace, was the reply, the greatest wonder of the world. I'll direct you if you'd like to see it. The magician thanked them for directions, and once he arrived and had seen the palace, he knew that it had been raised by the green genie of the magic lamp and became half mad with rage. He determined to steal the lamp and once again plunge Aladdin into the deepest poverty. Unluckily, Aladdin had gone out of town for eight days, which gave the magician plenty of time to come up with a scheme. He bought a dozen copper lamps, put them into a basket, and went to the palace, crying out, New lamps for old! followed by a jeering crowd. The princess, sitting in the hall of four and twenty windows, sent a lady-in-waiting to find out what the noise was about and she came back laughing so that the princess scolded her. Ma'am, replied the lady-in-waiting, who can help laughing to see an old fool offering to exchange fine new lamps for old dirty ones? Another lady-in-waiting, hearing this, said, Ah, there's an old one on the shelf over there which he can have. Now this was the magic lamp which Aladdin had left there. The princess, not knowing its value, told the first lady-in-waiting to take it and make the exchange. So she went and said to the magician, Give me a new lamp for this one. Well, he snatched it and bade the lady-in-waiting to take her choice of a new lamp amid the jeers of the crowd. Little did he care about their jeering, but he sure left in a hurry with his lamps and went out of the city gates to a lonely place where he remained until nightfall when he pulled out the lamp and rubbed it. The green genie of the lamp appeared, and at the magician's command, 
carried him, together with the palace and the princess inside of it, to Morocco. The next morning, the sultan looked out of his window towards Aladdin's palace and rubbed his eyes in disbelief, for it was all gone. Panicked, the sultan sent for his grand vizier and asked what had become of Aladdin's palace. The grand vizier looked out too and was lost in astonishment. He again put it down to enchantment, and this time the sultan believed him and sent 30 men on horseback to fetch Aladdin in chains. They met Aladdin riding home, bound him, and forced him to go with them on foot to see the sultan. The people, however, who loved Aladdin, followed, armed, to see that he came to no harm. He was carried before the sultan, who ordered the executioner to cut off his head for tricking him into letting him marry the princess. But the grand vizier, who saw that the crowd had forced their way into the courtyard and were scaling the walls to rescue Aladdin, told the sultan that Aladdin could not be treated in such a way. The people indeed looked so threatening that the sultan ordered Aladdin to be unbound and pardoned him in the sight of the crowd. Aladdin now begged to know what he had done, for he still did not know that his palace and princess were gone. You false wretch, cried the sultan, come here, and showed him from the window the place where his palace had once stood. Aladdin was so amazed that he could not say a word. Where is my palace and my daughter? demanded the sultan. For the first I am not so deeply concerned, but my daughter I must have, and you must find her. Distraught, Aladdin begged the sultan to give him forty days to find the missing princess. His request was granted, and he went forth sadly from the sultan's presence. For three days he wandered about like a madman, asking everyone what had become of his palace, but they only pitied him. He came to the banks of a river and knelt down to say his prayers before throwing himself in. In doing so, he rubbed the magic ring he still wore. The red genie of the ring he had seen in the cave appeared and asked what he wanted. Save my life, red genie, said Aladdin, and bring my palace back. That is not in my power, said the red genie. I am only the genie of the ring. You must ask the green genie of the lamp. Ah, oh, said Aladdin, but you can take me to the hidden place where my palace has been taken, surely, and set me down under my dear wife's window. That I can do, said the red genie of the ring. And so Aladdin found himself in Morocco, under the window of the princess and he fell asleep out of sheer weariness. Aladdin woke up to the singing of the birds, and his heart was lighter. He saw plainly that all of his misfortunes were owing to the loss of the lamp, and wondered who had robbed him of it. That same morning, the princess rose earlier than she had done since she had been carried into Morocco by the magician, whose company she was forced to endure once a day. She, however, treated him so harshly that the magician dared not live there with her permanently. As the princess was dressing, one of her ladies-in-waiting looked out and saw Aladdin. The princess ran and opened the window, and at the noise she made, Aladdin looked up. She called to him to come to her, and great was their joy at being reunited. 
After he'd kissed her, Aladdin said, I beg of you, my princess, before we speak of anything else, for your own sake and mine, tell me what has become of an old lamp I left on the shelf in the hall of four and twenty windows. Alas, she said, I am the innocent cause of our sorrows, and told him about the exchange of the lamp. Now I know, cried Aladdin, that we have to thank the magician for all of this. Where is the lamp? He carries it about with him, said the princess. I know, for he pulled it out of his coat to show me. He wishes me to break my marriage with you and marry him. He is forever speaking ill of you, but I only reply by my tears. Aladdin comforted his princess and then left her for a while. After all, he needed a plan. So Aladdin changed clothes with the first person he met in the town. And then, having bought a certain powder, he returned to the princess, who let him in by a little side door. Put on your most beautiful dress, he said to her, and receive the magician with smiles, leading him to believe that you have forgotten all about me. Invite him to have supper with you, and say you wish to taste the wine of his country. He will go for some, and while he is gone, I will tell you what to do. The princess listened carefully to Aladdin, and when he left her, she dressed herself in finery for the first time since she had been kidnapped and taken to Morocco. She put on a headdress of diamonds, and seeing in the mirror that she was more beautiful than ever, received the magician, saying to his great amazement, I have made up my mind that Aladdin is dead, and that all my tears will not bring him back to me. So I am resolved to mourn no more, and have therefore invited you to have supper with me. Let us taste the wine of this place where you live, Morocco, to celebrate. At this, the magician flew to his cellar to get the wine, and the princess put the powder Aladdin had given her in her cup. When the magician returned, she asked him to drink to her help with the wine from Morocco, handing him her cup in exchange for his, as a sign that she was reconciled to him. Before drinking, the magician made a speech in praise of her beauty, but the princess cut him short, saying, Let us drink first, and you shall say what you will afterwards. She set her cup to her lips and kept it there, while the magician drained his to the bottom and fell back utterly lifeless. The princess then opened the door to Aladdin and flung her arms around his neck. After this, Aladdin and his wife the princess lived in peace. Aladdin succeeded the sultan when he died and reigned for many years, leaving behind him a long line of kings and queens. It's time for us to head back to Pflugerville. Here comes the Rainbow Tunnel. Come back and see me again. You never know where the story train will take us. And if you like stories, search for Go Kid Go wherever you listen, and you'll find lots of great adventures. See you next time. Go Kid Go!